Thank you for listening to our podcast today here at Word of Life. Our prayer is that when you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. We want to make sure you know all about our new online campus. Visit thelifeonline.cc to find our brand new platform where you can find short messages on topics like prophecy, forgiveness, healing, and so much more. Each month, we release multiple new series for you to be able to grow in the knowledge of God and the Bible. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today we're going to talk about something great. Uh, It's a story that I know many of you are familiar with. Uh, Even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're watching this, you're not a Christian, and you've probably heard this story before. It's the story of the prodigal son. Uh, It is a parable that Jesus taught, and Jesus often taught in parables. Uh, A parable is a made-up story uh, that presents a spiritual truth. Uh, And so Jesus knew that we remembered stories better than we remember facts, (laughs) which is why I try to teach in stories whenever I can, because I know you'll remember the story of my son spending $1,216 on dragon eggs uh, faster than you'll remember anything else. And so if I can tie a spiritual truth to that, uh, then uh, I know it's got a chance of like sticking in your heart. Uh, So out of that, Jesus would often teach in stories. He taught many parables and, and perhaps perhaps none more endearing than the parable on the prodigal son. Now, anytime you're reading a parable, you want to do two things. You want to find you in the story, and you want to find God in the story. And so as we're reading this, uh, try to find God, and then also try to find yourself and try to identify with the characters. Uh, One of the things I would encourage everyone to do, uh, everyone, uh, is throughout this week and maybe throughout this series, um, read this parable over and over again and try to understand what they're thinking. So like, what is the prodigal son thinking? Why is he leaving the home? Uh, What is the father thinking when the son leaves? Why is the other son mad that this son who left and came back is being celebrated? And try to go through their thoughts, and perhaps it can help the Holy Spirit show you some of your thoughts (laughs) Uh, and bring you in line with some of these truths because nothing shows the heart of God the Father quite like this parable. We said this last week, God is gentle. Uh, Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, And what I want each and every one of you to find through this series is just how much God loves you and how much he wants to bless you. I don't care who you are. God loves you and he wants to bless you. I don't care what you've done. God loves you and he wants to bless you. I don't care what is in your past, how bad it may have been. God loves you and he wants to help you. Uh, And so out of that, this is the story of the prodigal son. Without further ado, let's read it together. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. It tells us, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near uh, to Jesus to listen to him. Now, this is an important distinction. The Bible says we've got sinners here and we've got tax collectors. Tax collectors were the worst sinners. (laughs) So if you think you're like bad today, uh, trust me, God's seen worse. Uh, And so uh, the tax collectors were Jewish individuals who had bought the right to collect taxes for Rome. Uh, And so Rome may charge like 10% on taxes. Uh, The tax collectors, though, would charge whatever they wanted. So they would go into Jerusalem or go throughout Israel and say, okay, uh, here's the tax rate you need to pay. It could be 17%, could be 15%. Could be 25%, whatever it may be, and they would have to pay it because Rome protected the, the tax collectors with force. 
And so you had to give it to them. And so they would pay Rome uh, their, their 10%, but they would keep the rest. So you have to be rich enough to buy the license to collect the taxes. But then once you had that license, it was an endless stream of income. And the Jewish people hated these people, like literally could not stand these tax collectors, which is uh, quite funny because Jesus made one of them his disciples. <laughs> uh, so he comes to Matthew, uh, who is a tax collector. And he so impacts his life that Matthew makes a decision to follow him. And how many of you know, no matter who you are, you can follow the Lord Jesus. God is coming for you. And just like he got Matthew and took him out of his sin, God can come and change your life, no matter how bad you may think you are or how bad others may think you are. God can change your life. He did it for him and he'll do it for you. So here Jesus' audience is these people who have not been living right. And maybe you're here today and uh, maybe like you've, you've put your Sunday best on to make people think you are doing okay, uh, but inside maybe you're really struggling with something. Uh, maybe there's been, been something that you've been really wrestling with in private, like a pull of sin very strong on your heart uh, of just something that has been, been weighing on you to walk away from the Father's house, to walk away from community, to walk away from your brothers and sisters in the Father's house, to, to go away. Uh, and uh, what we find here is that Jesus has an audience of people who have not been their best, probably many of whom who don't intend to do their best, but yet you find them loving Jesus, wanting to sit at his feet and to hear his words, which is why we say, no matter who you are here at Word of Life, uh, we want you to come in here and find love and we want you to come in here and find truth because we are glad you are here and glad you are watching. Uh, so in verse 2, but the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble. So not only in, in the audience do you have tax collectors and sinners, you've got really religious people. And they began to grumble. And notice the complaint they had of Jesus. He receives sinners and he eats with them. Uh, so he receives them and he's fellowshipping with them. So when Jesus hears this, he tells them this parable. And of course, you know the parables that Jesus tells. He tells of a shepherd who has one sheep who goes astray. Um, he tells of a woman who loses one coin. And then he tells the story of the prodigal son of a father who has two sons. Now, once again, in every parable, we want to find us in the story and we want to find God in the story. Uh, and so watch this in verse number 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. So he, not just, he didn't just leave the father's house. He went as far away as he could. Like, it's like, I'm out of here and I'm going to the other side of the world. Uh, into a distant country where he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, what's interesting is the, the other son later, we'll read about him next week, tells us exactly what that loose living looked like. Uh, and it was not pleasant. It was just um, giving himself over to the world's pleasure uh, to a degree that ruined him uh, and hurt him and wounded him. Uh, and so here he is, he spent all that he had, and there was a famine. Uh, that occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished, verse 15. So he went and took employment uh, to one of the citizens of that country. 
um, of a different kingdom. And he sent him into his fields to feed his swine, which for a young Jewish boy is the worst job you can have. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, I like that. He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy. What a statement. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion for him, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves and servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found, and they began to celebrate. Amen. Um, This story is just beautiful when you take the time to read it, Uh, especially if you're reading it and you feel like you are no longer worthy, no longer worthy to be loved by maybe the Lord or anyone else. Maybe you've really gone through a, a tough time here recently, and it just seems as if there's so many things in life and people who want to tell you just how unlovable you are. Uh, This story was written for you and told for you because Jesus has watched humanity for thousands of years before he walked on this earth as God, and he has seen uh, time and time again David leave the father's house, Samson leave the father's house, Lot leave the father's house. Uh, And so he's seen this play out over and over again, and no doubt in my life and yours, there have been times where we left the Father's house. And it's very interesting, uh, Jesus is telling this story to let us know the rules of the house and what happens when God sees this happen in your life, mine, David's, Samson's, and everyone else. The first thing I notice when I read this, this passage of Scripture, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you, if you don't take notes now, to like later when you are taking notes and you're studying this out and uh, finding yourself in the characters that you take notes then. But the, the first thing that I saw is the father let him leave. And so in the father's house, no matter who you are, uh, you can leave the father's house. You can leave church. You can leave the presence of the Lord. You can come and withdraw yourself from these things. You can go not just from the Father's house, but God will allow you to go into a distant land. He'll allow you, like Adam, to hide. He'll allow you to go behind a bush. Now, he'll come looking for you, and he'll stand at the house door waiting for you to take one step. So when you take one step back towards him, he can come running to you. But God will let you leave. And this is one of the things that strikes me as a pastor of like, why would you do that? Because it would just be so much easier, God, like if he never let you leave church, uh, if he just let you like stay here and like made you be here, it would make my life easier, his life easier, and probably your life better. Uh, Like all of these types of things, like why would he let you go? 
Why would he let, uh, you know, David, um, you know, have this, this moment with Bathsheba? Like, like, he tried to stop him. He sent a servant in to try to stop him. But ultimately, if David wanted to, he could override the servant. He tried to tell Adam, like, on the other side of this is death. Like, please don't. But he still gave him the choice to eat of the tree. For Samson, he told him, don't shave your head. He literally warned him. An angel literally appeared to his parents. Like, it gets no greater warning than that. Uh, Like, when angels are appearing to you, like, don't cut your hair. Uh, For my son, it would be like, please cut your hair. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but, but out of this, you, you have, like, clear-cut warnings, and then God, uh, like, watching Samson, this mighty man of God, like, when you read the story of Samson, it's so beautiful. It's like, and the Spirit moved on him from time to time. And he sees this, this wonderful life begin to unfold for him, but then, like, God sees him in the head of Delilah, his head in the lap of Delilah, and, and he does not stop him imprison him. Why does God do this? Because God wants sons and daughters and not prisoners. Uh, And out of this, God doesn't want you to come to church because you have to serve him, because you have to read your Bible, because you have to pray, because you have to worship, because you have to. Religion will make you have to. God wants you to want to. Come on, somebody. Uh, And so out of this, Uh, He will try to woo you with his peace, love, and joy, which is the only thing you can find in in, in, in the only place you can find those things with with no limits, peace, love, and joy from his kingdom. He will try to woo you with that in his house, Uh, but he will not force you to stay. What's interesting, though, to me is when the son left, he left blessed. He, He left with the father actually honoring his request. And it almost gives the impression of like God saying to us, once again, find God in the story, find you in the story. Uh, that here you see this son and his youthful, prideful ignorance being his worst self. Literally, when he asks for his share of the inheritance, what he's telling his father is, I wish you'd just go ahead and die. Um, he, he's saying, like, I, I just, I don't want you in my life. I don't want this house in my life. I don't want the, the things of this house in my life. I don't want any of this. I am leaving. And he doesn't just leave. He goes as far away as he can. He goes into a distant country. And the father's like, okay, I will let you leave. Because uh, to render a child able is better to render them safe. Um, but he says, before you go, would you please understand something? Would you please see how much I love you? I love you even when you're leaving. Even when you're walking away, you are loved. You are neither at any moment in your life more or less loved by, by, by the Father. You are, you are loved when you come home and you are loved when you leave. You are loved when you are home and you are loved when you are away. You are loved when you're not sinning and you are loved in the middle of sin. You, you are loved at all times, at all times you are loved. That the, the, the thing with the Lord Jesus is not the severity of your sin. It's built on whether or not you will come into the house. Uh, he embraced the son while the son was still dirty. While he was still a long way off, he runs to him. He doesn't even wait for him to get to the house. Still a long way off, he runs to him. Now, here's the thing about the father. Why would he let him go? Like, out of this, he doesn't want a prisoner. He wants a son and a daughter. So he warns. 
And there's this warning, I think, that each one of us kind of know. Jesus comes to us and he says, look, if you love me, keep my commandments. You remember Jesus saying that? If you love me, please keep my commandments. And when I was a child growing up, I used to read that and like, man, like that just sounds kind of harsh. Like if you love me, just do what I say. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and out of that, I didn't understand it as a child, but now that I'm a parent, I get it because I have children of my own. And my daughter's 15, she's at the beach this week with some friends, her, their parents are there, you know, all those kinds of things. And there's a big part of me that would just love to keep her at my house all the time, like away from every other child who could do something stupid, uh, or, <laughs> or away from any other influence, or, or away at a place where they're always under my watch fly. But why would I let her go? Because to render her able is better to render her sa- than, than to render her safe. I could try to keep her safe, but I never made her strong. Uh, So before she goes, I I will tell her, like, here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to be sensitive to your spirit. I want you to watch what you put before your eyes. I I want you to be slow to speak. I want you to be tender. I want you to obey. I want you to honor authority. I want you to be safe. I want you to pray. Like, have these moments. Have these interactions. Be a leader and not a follower. Like, come to a place where you're leading your friends into a deeper walk with Jesus. Like, Like, all these types of things. And so it's kind of like Jesus said, like, if you love me, keep my commandments. (laughs) Like, if you love me, please just listen to me in this. And why would I do that? Why, Why, if you love me, keep my commandments? Because I know that if these things are not kept, it will only cause you pain, and there is nothing that will cause me more pain than watching you go through it. And so out of this, God comes to us, and it's not like, if you love me, just do what I say. It's like, I love you so much that you need to understand nothing brings me more pain than to watch you go through pain. And so please don't test these limits, because I'm telling you, on the other side of these limits is absolutely something that will hurt you and wound you. So please just listen to me, and don't face the experience of disobeying me. But even if you leave... I want you to know you are loved. The second thing that I see is the the pool of sin. The pool of sin, temptation. Uh, This is interesting to me. Like, why would the sun leave? It's like peace, love, and joy. They're so rare. They're so rare in life. Uh, They're so rare in our world. Why would he leave that environment? And, I, and when I was putting myself like in his shoes, like I could remember when I was young, like 15, 16, I went and crossed boundaries that I knew I shouldn't cross <laughs> at my parents kind of like set up for me. And I, I felt the, the pull of temptation of sin, of like going back to the original sin of Satan's lie to Adam of like, you're missing out on something if you don't do this. Everybody else gets to do this. Why can't I cross that boundary? They seem to still be alive after watching that movie. Why can't I watch the movie, mom and dad? Like, it's like all those kinds of things. So it's like you cross the boundary and forget to hide the ticket stub. It was still in your pants. Any other children of the 90s, remember, uh, not taking out the ticket stub from your pants. Your mom's doing the laundry, and she's like, what is this? And it's like, I crossed the boundary. Uh, you know, all these types of things. Uh, so, but what? Why, why, why do we feel this urge to, to cross these boundaries? Why do we know like something over here is, is very toxic and bad? Even some of my, my ministry acquaintances and some of these things, it's like they so clearly knew this would be dangerous. 
Like they so clearly know, like on the other side of this is literally nothing but could cost you your ministry, your family, like all of it. There's so many, but why would you still, the pull of sin. Uh, God's voice is not the only other voice in our lives. We have programs that scream at us, watch us. We have apps that say, turn, turn me on and look at me all day and then look at me again and then again and again. And there's these pulls because anything that's not of God is not interested in creating a son and a daughter. It's interested in making a prisoner. God is interested in making sons and daughters and not prisoners. Anything of the enemy, it's not interested in sons and daughters. It is only interested in prisoners. So it's not just something you have it is something that begins to have you and it pulls you and the pull of sin and the pull of temptation that makes me think I'm missing out on something that makes me think I need to numb my pain which makes me think no one understands me no no one knows what I'm going through and so out in this distant country where I'm far away from the people who know me and I'm far away from uh, a God's watchful eye. I will drift over here into alcohol and I will drift over here into another relationship that I know at the end of the day is bad for me. But, uh, you know, no one knows what I'm in this lie of pride. I can handle it. It'll be okay. It's just one. It's just one time. It's just, I can handle it. I haven't gotten caught yet. And like all these pools of sin. Um, even in the life of Jesus, you, you see Jesus, who is God made manifest in the flesh, have a moment with his gentle heavenly father, because what is God? He is gentle and lowly of heart. You see this gentleness of how does the father come upon him? He comes upon him like a dove, of like this gentle presence coming to anoint his son, and heaven splits open, and it's like, this is my beloved son, and who I am well pleased. And then you see other voices pools of sin to take him off track, to turn even the son of God into a prodigal, to get him off track, to get him out of his call, these pools. And you see three types of pools that enter Jesus's life when he's facing temptation. Uh, They'll put it up on the screen. You have pleasure, you have power and acceptance, pleasure, power, and acceptance. Uh, Pleasure says numb your pain right now. You're hungry, turn the stone into bread, eat it. It'll numb your pain. You're hurting right now. No one understands just how hungry you are, just how hurt you are. Numb your pain right now. Uh, Watch this, listen to this, tune into this, drink this, eat this, smoke this, whatever it may be. All different types of way people numb their pain. This other voice will come in and say, you deserve it. No one understands, you can handle it. Now here's the secret to this though, of this meeting pleasure with these basic voices of temptation. If Jesus tones a, 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 turns a stone into bread and eats it, he may numb his pain temporarily, but what happens with that pain? It comes right back. And what happens when it comes right back? You're going to have to do what with it? Numb it again and then numb it again, and then numb it again, and then all of a sudden the very thing that you're numbing it with turns you into a prisoner, where this thing now begins to have you instead of you having it, and now it's gotten out of control because it's had so much of me. I have yielded myself so much to it that it has become my master. And at that point, all these consequences begin to enter into our life. And so pleasure is the first temptation that enters into our life that says, hey, don't, don't, don't go to the Father's house over this. Numb your pain. Don't go to the Father for healing. Like, just watch me for another eight hours. Uh, don't go to, to prayer and to worship for healing. And God's like, look, the pull of these things is not near as strong as the pull of those things. I wish it was. Like, I wish the pull of, was like so, I, I hear people talk sometimes. I'm like, really? 
like they, they talk about like these spiritual experiences, like I just crave it and those types of things. And what I have found is almost anything spiritual is not a craving, it's a sacrifice. And that there are moments where you do it enough where, yeah, it is a craving, but most of the time it is a sacrifice where I will crucify my will to sow to the spirit and go to the father's house. Why? Because he's trying to create a son and daughter and not a prisoner. But anything that is harmful for me, like almost anything that is harmful for me, there is a craving on the other end of that that is trying to turn me into a prisoner and not a son or a daughter. And I must pull away from the voice of pleasure and go to the home of God. I must come to myself before the consequences set in. And it's even better to come to yourself before you ever leave the house. I'll come to myself and say, I'll just trust my father. Those boundaries are there for a reason. I am not going to cross those boundaries. Second, second temptation is power. Show us how powerful you are. I think we, we live in a world right now that is so trying to keep things in control that we go to our own means to control our lives. And it's like, I'm not going to wait for God to deliver me. I will force a situation that shows deliverance. And we have these moments where we're trying to protect our family or grow our churches or grow our business or make more money or keep up with inflation that we find these paths where we are diving deeper and deeper over into these places of stress, anxiety, worry, trying to stay in power, trying to stay in control. And we have these moments where instead of trying to stay in control, deep down we know we're getting out of control that we are drifting further and further away from the Father's grace and love and joy. These things are not in our lives because we're on this chase for this. The third temptation is acceptance. If you bow down to me, everyone will love you. If you change, listen to me, young people, like never before is there a battle on your identity. And if you change who you are, you'll be accepted by the world. Uh, And so he's faced with this temptation, like, if you just bow down and you worship me, I'll give you their affection, I'll give you their likes, I'll give you their attention, and I'll give you their acceptance. And this pull to become something he's not and to surrender to something he should not be surrendered to, to be accepted by man. Because the world will say, if you change, then you'll embrace, then we'll embrace you. And God is saying, no, 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 you can come to me even dirty, and I'll embrace you in your, your shame. I'll embrace you in your guilt. I'll embrace you as you are. And so literally, in, in our world, we have this, this temptation. Lower your standard to be accepted. Lower your standard to be liked. Lower your standard to get attention. And we see all this play out because of the pull of sin. The pull of sin, though, and and temptation is so awful because what it leads to next, and it leads to the consequence of sin, which is sifting, is we yield to sin. uh, Like Peter, you know, the, the story of Peter is here you have this big, strong man, but he's got another voice in his life. It's the voice of, get acceptance, Peter. It's very interesting to me. Uh, and you also have to keep in mind, especially young people in the room, Fondren, uh, Highland Colony, most of the disciples were teenagers. At the, the most, they might have been like 21, 22, uh, but most of them were teenagers. And so here you have Peter, who's like this young man, he's following Jesus, and the Bible says he begins to follow from afar. And Jesus is over here getting beaten, and he's standing by a fire, and Jesus has already told him, this voice is going to enter in your life, and what's it there for? It's going to try to sift you. 
And what is the challenge? People are looking at Peter and they're like, aren't you with him? Like, aren't you a Christ follower? And immediately he consents, if I say yes, I will be rejected. But maybe if I say no, I will be accepted. And this pull of acceptance is in his heart. Lower your standard. Walk away from Jesus. Say you don't know him. Act like you don't know him. Pull away from these things. And three times Peter chooses the acceptance of man rather than the surrender of God. And the Bible says that night that the weight of his sin is so strong upon him that he goes out and he weeps bitterly and the sifting takes place in his life. What is sifting? It is where the valuable is separated from the invaluable. That all you're left with in your life is something that is invaluable. And here Peter is with no ministry, no dream. He thinks Jesus doesn't love him. He's given up on what can be in his life. There's no passion for it. To go win souls and change the world and make fishermen of men and in in Jesus' name, miracles. There's none of that. He's just gone back to fishing. He's walked away from Jesus. Because the biggest lie of sin is this, is you're no longer worthy. Peter, you're no longer worthy. Samson, you're no longer worthy. Did you, do you see Samson's ask after he sins? He's standing there, eyes plucked out, hair, hair begin growing back, and what does he ask the Lord for? Just one more miracle. What if he would have asked for ten more? Why did he only ask for one? Worthy. What am I worthy of? Uh, did you notice that the prodigal son's ask before his sin? Before his sin, like here you've got this, this, this cocky kid uh, who's blinded by deceit and arrogance, but he's coming to his father saying, I want it all. And after his sin, he's like, I am no longer worthy of love or at all. I just want to survive. And here's how you know the spirit, spirit of the prodigal is working in your own life. It's the thing that you're talking to the Lord about is, Lord, just help me through this season. Just, Father, if you could just show up here and God is like, I don't want to just help you through the season. I want to give you everything sin told you it would give you. I want to give you acceptance. I want to, I want to hug you and embrace you. Uh, even when you feel like you cannot be embraced, I want to give you acceptance. I want to give you power. I want to put a ring on your finger to let everybody know you are back in authority. You have the power to govern this whole household. And pleasure, I want to give you pleasure. I don't want you to just turn a stone over into bread. I want to kill the fatted calf for you. And I want to bless you with the best robe and put sandals on your feet. It is not a matter of you trying to be worthy to come back to the Father's house of like, if I'm good enough, or if I come back next Sunday, if I read more, if I stop doing this. God is saying, look, the only thing I need from you, it is not perfection, it is you to just come home and not believe in your goodness, but to believe in mine. That I can clean you up in in no time if you will just surrender to me. That the very thing you've been trying to get off you is the very thing I will cover for you if you will just come to the father's house but sin comes and lies to us and tells us it's not that easy you're going to have to do more you're going to have to modify this you're going to have to change this and God says Jesus says you want to know God you want to know your father 
while you are still a long way off. You're not even home yet. You're still a long way off from being the person you know you should be, the mom you know you should be. You're still a long way off from what you think you should be or who you think you should be. You're still a long way off from perfection. You're still a long way off from whatever you think you have to live up to. And God says, while you're still a long way off, I don't look at where you are. I just look if if you're coming home. And if you're coming home, I am running towards you. Pull away from the lie of sin. Pull away from the consequence of sin. Pull away from the pull of sin and come to the Father's house. What's amazing about this story, and I just felt this so big in my heart while I was writing this message, what's amazing about this story is the other son in the household. I think the reason why a lot of people leave the Father's house is because of the other children who are in it. And you hear the celebration. And he's like, what is going on? And he gets so mad. He's like, my brother has wasted, wasted the money my father worked all these years for with wild living on all these other things. And he's mad. He won't join in. And I just felt it so big when I was writing this message that you can't wait on loving yourself while the other brother doesn't love you. You can't wait for them to love you before you love yourself. And there may be some things in your life that you've really messed up and you've been waiting to forgive yourself when they forgive you. And you've been waiting to walk free from your past when they allow you to walk free from your past. But I can't make any promises on humanity. What I can promise you is the Lord Jesus He has already forgiven you, that even in your shame, he is clothing you, empowering you, and wanting to bring you pleasure, and wanting to bring you back to life. He wants you to live again, dream again, love again, laugh again. He wants you to have peace again, joy again. And I can't promise that everybody in Christianity or everyone in your life will like that fact. But just because they don't like it doesn't mean you can't receive it. So what's the message? The message is simply this. Whenever you're feeling unworthy, unaccepted, unseen, and unlovable, come home. Whenever you're feeling like you've gone too far, come home. Jesus said this in the book of John chapter 6. All who come to me, I will never cast away. Oh, come on, church. All who come to me, all who come to me, I will never cast away. All who come to me. But I'm not perfected. All who come to me. But I still got some issues in my life. All who come to me. Uh, But I I did the thing that I said I wouldn't do. That thing, I did it again. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he will not just embrace you. He will accept you. He will bring pleasure and joy in life, and he will restore your power to help you overcome your past, your pain, and to walk into a greater future than you've ever known before. He just needs you to come. So today at every campus, let's just stand to our feet all over this place, and let's just worship the Lord, and let's just make a decision to come to him in grace and love and mercy and surrender to him in a brand new way. Let's bow our heads and pray all over the world. Let's just pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you in Jesus' name.
that every prodigal, every prodigal watching this, every prodigal in our rooms, every prodigal in our campuses, everyone who feels like they are no longer worthy, everyone who feels like that they've messed up, everyone who's chosen acceptance and power and pleasure, over coming home. Father, we thank you. You love them. You love them when they come home and you loved them when they left. And Father, today we just glory in that love. We receive it into our own souls. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that we are walking free from all shame and all guilt today. We say our past is behind us and your great future is out in front of us. Father, we thank you. We are not going to talk about survival any longer. We are going to dream of what you can do through us. Dream what you can do for us because Jesus has made us worthy. And because of that, you, Jesus, you are worthy of all of our praise. So today, Father, we give it. In Jesus' name, amen.